0: Jesus says in John that when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. And Jesus references this a couple of times in the Gospel of John alone. Where Jesus is saying, I can lift myself up, and when I lift myself up, I'm going to draw all people or all things to me. And I think there's also a part of it that when we lift Jesus up, we play our part, Jesus is going to do his part. Then when we sincerely and courageously lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus is going to draw people, and Jesus is going to draw things to himself. I want to welcome everybody here in person today. Thank you for all of you joining us online. I know there are a number of folks who are gone for spring break, and we're also grateful for those who have chosen to make Memphis a home at least for spring break. Colorado, you're getting a lot of love today. I think at least three times we've acknowledged you. We're thankful you are here Thank you for pouring uh, your time this week into Memphis. And we are grateful for the many ways Memphis is going to bless you too over the next few days. Can we welcome our Colorado friends to the 901 today? Church, I get a witness every week how hard our staff works. I'm grateful for all the initiatives they lead and the work they do. I'm also grateful for over the last eight or nine days, we've had a clothing sale here on our campus that has blessed hundreds of people we fed the homeless here on Wednesday night. There was a grocery giveaway yesterday. And all of these were efforts led by you, by, by, church, by the church, not by paid staff, by the church. So it's not the church that is like lifting up ministers so that we can do our part in trying to lift up Jesus. Is that we come alongside each other to lift up Jesus. And we trust that when we do, Jesus is going to draw people to himself. Have you heard about the Asbury Revival, the revival that started just over a month ago, Asbury University? I want to talk about it just a little bit today. This is a revival that started just over a month ago, and it's a campus, about 1,500 students, a town, Wilmore, Kentucky. It's only five, 6,000 people, yet conservative estimates was that at the peak of the revival, there were at least 20,000 people from around the nation and the world who traveled to Wilmore, to experience and to participate in this revival. Now, when you see things like this break out on social media, I know there's there's a moment of skepticism. Is this legit? Is this emotionalism? Like, are people just caught up in emotion? Sometimes we don't know what to do when there is a move of God. Sometimes there's a move of God and we don't know how to explain it. So I'm sure I'm like you, I've seen videos, I've tried to read articles about this, and, and I even listened to the speech that was given in chapel that day, because any of us who went to Christian colleges, Christian universities, like we chapels is part of what you do. You get credit for going to chapel. You have to show up to go to chapel. And a lot of times you go to chapel and there's not like expectation like today, there's going to be a revival that's going to break out. A lot of times we go to chapel and we're, you know, we're thinking about the test we're about to do. We're thinking about relationships in our lives. It's hard to get off devices. Sometimes it's just what you do. This is why I'm so grateful for Jenna King, our very own Jenna King, who helps orchestrate chapel at a school here in Memphis every day of the week to try to think uh, thoughtfully think through how to help students engage, even when students are going to chapel and maybe they're not there with expectations to engage. This wasn't a day of chapel at Asbury that they were like, today we're coming and we're praying for revival or today we're going to come and we're going to repent from sin. Like There was none of that. His name was Zach who spoke. And I'll be honest about Zach. I respect the guy. I listen to the talk. And usually when I listen to people preach or teach, like I'm not listening as a cynic. I'm not being skeptical. A lot of times when I listen to people, I am rooting for them. I'm not, I'm not there to try to, like, how did they treat the text and how did they engage the audience. But there was nothing profound about Zach's 26-minute chapel talk. It started kind of awkward. His, his humor wasn't great. It was a little awkward. And I should know because my humor is pretty great, all right? <laughs> Can I get an amen? Nobody? Nobody? Uh, his humor wasn't great, but here, here's, here's how it went down. Zach, he's an assistant soccer coach. He's also a leadership development a coordinator for a missions effort there in that town. And he speaks at chapel sometimes, so he knows some of those college students. So there he is in a chapel. Hundreds of students are present. And here's a few things he did. He had everybody stand. All the students stood. And he read from Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. It's 13 verses. And he acknowledged in these 13 verses, there are 30 commands. 30 commands and 13 verses. Things about like loving each other, being hospitable, like things like this. Perseverance. Like 30 commands and 13 verses. And then he had them sit and he said, so here's my question for you. How are you feeling? And then he asked him again, no seriously, like, how are you feeling? So you're listening to the chapel talk and he's on a mic, but everyone else isn't on a mic, but you can hear a few students who are shouting things back at him and he repeats a couple of them. Students are like, well I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling depressed. These are some of the things you hear. So at least at this moment you know there's a little bit of vulnerability in the room. And then Zach went on to talk about just the love of God. A very simple message about the profound, extraordinary love of God. And to do that, he also talked about the fake love that the world offers to so many people. The fake love that manipulates sometimes, that abuses. So he talked a little bit about fake love and wanting to name fake love for what it is. And then in just a, I mean a couple of sentences, he acknowledged that earlier in his childhood, he experienced abuse, which was in the form of fake love. He didn't spend much time with it. Just acknowledged that there was abuse in his own life. And then he just talked about how the love of God is available. And it's available, and and it's not something you work for. It's available. It's, It's a gift that we must receive, and we must set aside the fake love that the world offers, and receive and open ourselves up to the love of God. That you can't love other people, if you weren't willing to receive the love of Jesus. It's through the love of Jesus and receiving that, that you're able to love other people the way God wants you to love other people. And then around 20 minutes, the keyboard started playing. Now, I've been in enough atmospheres and environments of worship that four places where there is a growing prayer culture, where faith is expressing itself, in a prayer culture, in some very tangible ways, a lot of times there may be a keyboard involved that's just kind of covering the moment. It's, a, it's almost a way of saying, hey, we're asking heaven to kind of hold this moment that we're in as we talk about what it means to step deeper with God. And then Zach prayed for a couple of minutes, and his prayer was an acknowledgement of the fake love that's coming after us in our lives and open ourselves to the love of God. And a few, few different times he used the phrase... Spirit of God, move in the pews in this room. Spirit of God, move in the pews. And then he finished his prayer and he talked for a couple of more minutes. And one of the things he said in the talk, at the very end, is he said, I I hope this message sits with you like an itchy sweater. That you have to do something about it. Right, and you've all, you've had an itchy sweater on before that creates just enough discomfort that makes you want to move around or lift. You know, something just and that was what he asked. He said, "I hope that this message just sits on you like an itchy sweater that you have to do something about it." And his message ended, and nobody came forward. Nobody. And Zach walked off the stage, and later he thought he whiffed. He thought it was a bomb. He texted his wife, and the text was, basically, I whiffed. I blew it. I'll be home in a little while. That was it. He said, it's another stinker. And any of us who have been preachers or teachers or you're teaching in your classroom or you've had projects or presentations in your work, sometimes you know what it's like where you have put together something that you think is great and it falls flat. And we also know what it's like to deliver a message that we don't feel great about and it's, it's a home run, like it just hits. And it's in those moments we realize that what we do, what I get to do every Sunday, this isn't about lifting up the name of Josh Ross or trying to build my platform or my resume. Anything that happens in this moment is something greater than me that is at work in this moment. So Zach was just acknowledging that this isn't about lifting up the name of Zach, it's lifting up the name of Jesus. And from that... Started a revival that lasted days around the clock. Worship, prayer, confession, repentance. And I want to come back to it here in just a few minutes. Jesus says, when you lift up my name, I will draw people to me. Lift up the name of Jesus. And Jesus will do his part to draw all people, all things, to himself. Now, if you were to ask almost anybody, Christian or non-Christian a verse in the Bible, most people know at least that 3.16 is a number that's in this thing we call the Bible, even non-Christians. And John 3.16 is probably the most quoted verse in the entire Bible, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And a lot of times we know the verse, but we don't know what is around it. And here's what Jesus says right before John 3.16. In John chapter 3, verses 4, 14 and 15, Jesus says this, Jesus Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And let's stay there just for a moment. Jesus is referencing Numbers chapter 21. And right before Jesus quotes, or the, the, John has John three sixteen, the most quoted verse in the entire Bible, you have this moment where Jesus references this story about snakes. How many of you do not go in the snake exhibit, even at the zoo? Like, you hate snakes so bad. You don't do it. I remember calling Casey earlier, you know, when she was, we were raising our kids. They're like four, two, five, and three. Casey's at the zoo with them. I call to check on them. And Casey's like, I, yeah, I think the boys are fine, but I'm not with them right now. And I'm like, where are they? She would send them through the entrance. She would go wait at the exit. And sometimes I would say, baby, you, you just got to take a risk. Like, go be with the kids. You got to be present with the kids. And she's like, have you read Genesis chapter 3? Like, is this is Satan, that's what Satan looks like. Satan's like a snake. I don't do snakes. And Jesus references this. It's a crazy story. And sometimes you read these crazy stories in the Bible, and it's, sometimes you read them, and you're like, it's hard to believe this is real. Like, it. Did this really happen? It almost sounds like magic. In Numbers 21, there's disobedience with the people of God. There's snakes that come. Snakes are biting people. People are dying. So then God says, I want you to build like a statue that looks like a snake. And when you're bit by a snake, you can look at it, set your eyes on it. And when you do, you won't die. And you may think it's a crazy story until you get bit by a snake And you got a friend or a family member who got bit by one, and they looked at it and they lived, that you may think it's a wild, crazy story, but if you're in that story and you get bit, you guarantee you're looking at that. You're looking at the statue, right? So think about how Jesus, of all the things Jesus could have referenced, Jesus references this story where people were getting bit by snakes, and then they're looking up at this statue, and it's through that that God's healing them. And then it's almost like Jesus says, it's almost like he's saying, like evil bites. Right? Like evil, just like it's not like evil is coming after you, evil is knocking on the door. But when evil comes, and when evil is, is all around the world, you put your eyes on Jesus. And when you do, there is eternal life that comes to God's people. When the evil is biting, you set your eyes on Jesus. And there's eternal life, there's healing, there's salvation that comes. John chapter 12. And I want you to see two verses and I want to walk through just a few things in John chapter 12. In verse 20 and in verse 23, verse 20 what you have is Greeks come to the festival and the Greeks are looking for Jesus. I think it's safe to assume these are non-Jews who believe in God. So they're coming to the festival But there are Greeks that are there. And then in verse 23, it's Jesus who acknowledges my hour has come. Which throughout John, up until this moment, the hour hasn't come. It's not the time. And now Jesus says the hour has come. And I don't want to make too much of this, because John doesn't make too much of this. But there is something here about Greeks representing a world that is waiting an entire world like waiting on they may not have known they're waiting on a Messiah but they're waiting on something that is bringing purpose and goodness to the world they represent a world that is waiting and John if John is the apostle John who wrote John and also wrote Revelation and Revelation John is painting all these images of nations and tribes and languages represented in heaven where heaven's not going to be that white black and brown people shed their skin and take on some heavenly skin but we will be who we are now all united around the throne of God. And now in John 12 it's this acknowledgement that the Greeks come and they're looking for Jesus and now Jesus acknowledges the world is waiting and now now the time has come. And I mentioned this last week in John 12. You have this moment in verse 27 through 29 where you sense like Jesus wrestling within his spirit a little bit. Where in verse 27, it's now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And then he's like, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So it's like, Jesus is like, okay, God, save me from this hour. In other other gospel, the way the story is told, Jesus is like, take this cup from me. And then Jesus is like, nope, nope, I came for this hour. This is what I came for. And then Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. A bold, courageous, dangerous prayer to offer up to God. God, glorify your name. And then it says a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it and said, it had thundered. Another said an angel had spoken to him. It's this moment, and you don't get the voice of God speaking a lot throughout the Gospels. You do it at Jesus' baptism. And here's one of these moments you do at the transfiguration, and here's one of these moments where the voice of God, it's like God is stamping the moment. A voice like thunder, like a storm is brewing. And there's something about that voice that spoke to the people and it spoke to Jesus. And in verse 31, here's what Jesus says. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So I want you to think about Jesus' posture on the cross. And on the cross, I think it is safe for you to assume and to believe that on the cross... Jesus thought of you, Jesus thought of people, Jesus thought of humanity. His face was toward the people that he was dying to save. He was dying to save a world. His face was toward them. But verses like verse 31 also let us know that Jesus also had his face turned toward evil. It wasn't just to save people. It was, I want to save people, but I've got to deal with what is harming people. So Jesus was acknowledging that on the cross, he was doing something to evil. There was a battle that was being fought. He was stepping into it. One person says it like this. The cross is always a time and a place of crisis and decisions where darkness and evil are unmasked and overcome, but also where faith and life are released. Let me say it again. The cross is always a time and a place of crisis and decisions where darkness and evil are unmasked and overcome, but also where faith and life are released. And let me stay there just for a moment. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a night of repentance. It's like an Ash Wednesday type service we do. And one thing we asked of you... There were 150, I don't know, 200 people, something like that here. And one thing we did that night is we were talking about the story of Lazarus, where Lazarus is raised from the dead, but then Jesus tells Lazarus, or tells the people, like, you need to get the grave clothes off of him. Whatever on him that still looks like death, you need to get rid of it. So we had little sheets of cloth that you wrote out things that you wanted to get rid of. And I have them in my office for... Kip and myself and a few leaders have taken time to like read through those and pray through those. And I, I, I love these moments in the life of this church. I have a box in my office where I have kept every time we've had a prayer time or maybe we've gone to tables before. or There are times we've had a board that we're just like writing out sin or repenting of things or letting things go in the presence of God. I have a box in my office with thousands of these cards. I save them all. And I don't save them all to remind me of what a bad church we are or what sinful people we are. I save them because sometimes I look at them and I remind myself that any church that wants to be in pursuit of righteousness and holiness has to take sin seriously. Like any church that wants to step closer to God has to do more than just say, God forgive us for our many sins. We've got to name the things that are harming our souls. So it's just this acknowledgement for me, this reminder that any church that's taken steps to Jesus has to provide moments where we're given expression to the things that are holding us back. And at the cross, Jesus fought a battle for us. This one author says it like this. He says, I cannot be any more specific about the methodology of love than to quote these words of an old priest who spent many years in the battle. There are dozens of ways to deal with evil and several ways to conquer it. All of them are facets of the truth that the only ultimate way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered within a willing, living human being. And when when it is absorbed there like blood in a sponge or a spear into one's heart, it loses its power and goes no further. The healing of evil, which that phrase right there is kind of messed with me because I I, I like to think about the demolishing evil, like doing away with evil, but the healing of evil, scientifically or otherwise, can be accomplished only by the love of individuals. A willing sacrifice is required. I do not know how this occurs, but I know that it does. And whenever this happens, there is a slight shift in the balance of power in the world. And one other person says this, faith in the cross is the world's great exorcism. Like think about like things that need to be driven out of you, like faith in the cross, belief in the cross. This is the great exorcism. This is where Jesus did his work. So here's Jesus in verse 27. It's like, save me from this hour. Nope, I'm in this hour. This is what I came to do. By verse 31, he's acknowledging that I am here to do something to evil. There's a battle that is being fought. I'm here to drive the prince of evil out of this world. And then verse 32, here's what Jesus says. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now by the prince of this world, he will be driven out. And then Jesus acknowledges that this is why he came to this world. This is why he came. Acknowledging about his death on the cross. When Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. I, uh, I've, I've told a form of this story before, but I, in Sherman, Texas, almost 20 years ago, I was a part of an event that for two days, it was a generation of college students who came together to lift up the name of Jesus. That was it. I drive through Sherman, Texas every once in a while, and when I do, I think about 2 longtime members of this church, Glenn Haley, who spent a few years of his life, his upbringing in Sherman, Texas, and Bob Higginbotham, who was here in this church for a long time, an elder in this church who lived some of his life in Sherman, Texas. Also, when I drive, drive through Sherman, I think about Whataburger. Usually my family, we stop, we grab some Waterburger. And then I think about the time that I gather with about 20,000 college students in a field in Sherman, Texas. There's a Christian family that opened up their field to us. It was a passion event. If you listen to Passion at all, uh, a little over 20 years ago, they started doing these one-day events. So this was a one-day event in Sherman, Texas. We showed up a day where it was, it was storming. and In fact, some people who were setting up for the event were struck by lightning. Everybody survived, but that's what we were stepping into. For two days, you had thousands of people who lived in tents, and then we would gather on this field where for hours we were led in worship by people like Chris Tomlin and Christy Knuckles and Matt Redmond. It was the first time in my life I heard Beth Moore preach. I had heard her on the TV when my mom or Casey were doing Bible studies with Beth Moore, this fiery woman who had this deep love for Jesus, but I had never like sat at her feet and I listened to Beth Moore speak to this thousands of college students about a deep love for God. I witnessed moments when people who in 2003 were making commitments to go be missionaries in Iraq and Afghanistan, asked college students to answer the call of God to join them. And this was in 2003. And I witnessed college students who pretty much left everything to follow these people to a mission field, to help lead people in the Middle East to Christ in a time where war was breaking out all over the Middle East. I witnessed people surrendering their lives to Jesus. I witnessed repentance that was happening. When Jesus is lifted up, Jesus brings people to him. And when you experience moments when Jesus is lifted up, it inspires you to want to live a life where you lift the name of Jesus up. Not just to go back to a moment or an event where it's happening, but what are the little things that I can do in my daily life? What are the little things you can do in your life that lifts up the name of Jesus? And as you do trust that Jesus will do his part and draw people to himself. There's a quote I go back to quite often in my life when I just need like a boost of faith and what is it all about? I remember what Jim Symbala said in a book, uh, Fresh, Fresh Fire, years ago. In the introduction he says this, one day I told the Lord that I would rather die than merely tread water throughout my career in the ministry, always preaching about the power of the word and the spirit but never seeing it. I abhor the thought of just having more church services, a hunger for God to break through in our lives and in our ministry. We set our eyes on Jesus, so what are you looking at? And do you believe that when we lift up the name of Jesus, that Jesus does his part, he will draw people to himself? So this story of Asbury. Preacher Zach preached a message and thought it bombed. Like, there was nothing in the message where those six minutes that he was praying for people, like, he wasn't offering this, this altar call that you may have seen, like a Billy Graham revival in the past. You know, Billy Graham, there are business classes in college that watch Billy Graham close the deal, like, end his sermons. I mean, Billy Graham would do stuff like, I've been in this back section over here, and it takes about 90 seconds for you to walk from there to the altar. So go ahead and start moving. Because you need Jesus and come to the altar. Or maybe you grew up going to gospel meetings with Jimmy Allen or Winterfest with Jeff Walling and you've seen these strong pleas of let go of the chair you're holding on to and let go of that so you can reach for Jesus. Zach didn't have this strong invitation to the altar. He just talked to these kids about the profound love of God. And he thought he whiffed. And when chapel was over, there were only about 20 students, but 20 students stayed. Hundreds left. And there were little pockets over on the right side in a pew down front. Little pockets of people, and these students, they just, they just prayed. That was it. They prayed. And one kid, Zeke, was one of those 20 who stayed, but he had to go to class. College students, that's what you're supposed to do. You go to class, right? So he went to his class. After the class, he went outside and he could hear singing coming from the chapel. So he went back in, and when he did, there were hundreds of kids already gathered who were praying and worshiping, and there was this peace that was hard to explain. So he was a part of a few friends who began running around campus telling students everywhere else, revival is breaking out. Revival is breaking out. And if you know anything about the history of Asbury, there have been multiple revivals that have broken out over the last hundred years where it's like the Spirit of God just does a fresh thing. By that night, there were over a thousand people who gathered for worship. And then for weeks, around the clock, there was worship and prayer and confession and repentance. And you probably have not heard any names of people who spoke on the mics And you didn't have Hillsong or Maverick City, you know, any of these worship bands that came and like took it over to make it into something that could be blasted all over social media. They tried to limit how many phones could record what was happening in the room because they wanted this to be just an authentic moment and expression of the Spirit of God doing something. Over 20,000 people came to experience and participate in what God was doing and props to an administration that quickly moved to provide protection and everything those students needed. Because you had people from the outside group who wanted to hijack this revival to make it into a mega-political rally or, or some kind of theological rally or a charismatic movement that maybe they didn't want it to be, and they protected the students. That said, how the Holy Spirit is working through students, we want that to be what this revival is known for, because it's going to outlive us. And I don't mention any of that today. To suggest this morning or to ask that the Asbury Revival come here. Things happen all across the country because of the Asbury Revival. I do want us as a church to always take seriously what it means for us, as individuals and as a church, to lift up the name of Jesus. And when we do, to trust that Jesus will draw people to himself. And that when he does, we can't manipulate it, or manufacture it, or tell Jesus exactly how it needs to play out. We're just told you lift up his name. And when you do, Jesus is going to be the one who draws all people to himself. I just want to be a part of it. So we come to a moment in our worship service where we blend a time of communion and a time of prayer Because this is a moment where there is a vertical and a horizontal connection. A divine moment for us. That we are a church that steps together, that moves together. And we set up people around this room to be prayer partners. I know Efren's one of our elders. I think he's up here to my right today. There'll be an elder in the back. Suzanne Marrero will be to my right. My wife Casey will be over here to my left. I'll be down front to receive you for prayer And I don't want to manipulate this moment, but I do want to remind you of a couple of things. That I think one valuable part of having a prayer moment in a worship service, and I'm not afraid to say it sometimes, like I don't want you to rob yourself of a blessing you may need today. That sometimes what you may need is just a space or a person that you can just go and either, hey, here's something going on in my life, or will you just speak or pray a blessing over me? I don't want you to rob yourself of the blessing of what can happen in moments of prayer like that. And I also want to encourage some of our older, more mature members, those of you who have been a part of faith for a long time, that, that sometimes that move to a prayer partner is for you, and sometimes it's you setting a, being a witness to a younger generation They may have no clue what you're going to a prayer partner to ask for, but they need to see people who are older in the faith move to places like that so they know their places in worship service where they can be vulnerable to set the pace for them. And in this moment, may we be reminded and may we give thanks to God that one day when we die, we will be raised in glory all because Jesus has been lifted up in glory. That's it. Close your eyes, bow your heads. For the visitors in the room today, you're going to see members stand up in just a moment and move to six tables and have bread in the cup and just follow them there. And Jesus, we give you thanks today for your courage, your willingness, your obedience to be lifted up. That it wasn't just obligation that drove you there, it was love that drove you there. Thank you for what you have done for us and thank you for what you did for evil, did to evil. So God, may the same courage it was in Jesus to be lifted up be in us too, that we may live lives for your glory. And God, we do ask for your spirit to move in these pews. In our lives, here in this place, and as we leave this place today in our lives, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.